This is Face the Music, an electric light orchestra song-by-song podcast. Episode 005, First Movement, Jumping Biz. that song all about. First Movement, Jumping Biz, is the fifth track on ELO's first album, Electric Light Orchestra, slash No Answer, and the first song on side two. Recording of the song began on December 31st, 1970, when Jeff Lynne was 23 years, one day old. It was written by Roy Wood, and if you think it sounds like classical gas, you're not the only one. In 1972, Roy said, Yeah, it's a copy. I used to sit in the dressing room and play classical gas and think it would be nice to write something like it. So I did. If you listen to it, you'll notice that in fact they are two different tunes played in the same style. Rory plays guitar and oboe on the song. It was the B-side to 10538 Overture, although in America, Battle of Marston Moor was the B-side of 10538 Overture. It was featured in the 1971 movie Freedom City. Hi, I'm Eric Wensensen. And I'm Eric Paul Johnson. And today's song is Classical Gas by Mason Williams. Oh, wait a minute. No, it's the other... No, it is... No, I think it is... No, no, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah. Oh. No. Oh, no, this is First Movement Jumping Biz by Electric Light Orchestra. That's what... That's the band we're doing, right? Yes, yes. This is First Movement Jumping Biz by Dave Mason, and Electric Light Orchestra did uh, Classical Gas. Uh, Dave Mason would be with traffic. Something like that. Something like that. Okay. First movement, Jumpin' Biz, was the flip side for 10538 Overture. And it kind of sounds like that kind of B-side that you would throw on a single because the front side is what you're trying to get played on the radio. That doesn't mean I don't like it, though. Yeah, I like this one. Uh, This is the first song we've come to on this album that I like. I genuinely like. Not like, eh, kind of like it. It's not bad. I actually like this one. It's a nice song. It doesn't have a bunch of crunching cellos dogpiled on top of it. There's no speech by Roy Wood to overthrow the monarchy. It's a fun song, which I don't think we've hit any fun songs on this album yet. But I've also always liked classical gas, so I don't see why I wouldn't like this one either. Exactly. I really like 
the Spanish guitar intro. I know that's Roy Wood playing that, and that's where you're starting to see some strengths of Roy Wood. I mean, we've been bashing him and everything for his cello playing and everything else, but here you actually get to see where his talents lie, and he does a rather good guitar intro on this, and carries it through. The other thing I like is, even though I know not one other member except Jeff Lynn of the classic lineup is here, you start hearing some of the actual tone that you would hear on later ELO records. Yeah, and I think this one was recorded, I don't know, six months after 105.38 was recorded. Not, I don't have the date memorized. I know it was in late December uh, 1970, so maybe after six months, Roy got better at his uh, celloing. And Bev Bevan's on here, so it's, it's Bev, Roy, and Jeff. It's also mixed a lot better than a lot of the other songs on the album. It sounds like a fuller mix rather than a very skeletal demo-type sound. Yeah, that's another point in this song's favor. It's mixed well. It doesn't sound all muddled and muddied with everything up high and and loud. It's been a long time since I've listened to this album, so I'm, I'm not really sure in my head what's coming up after this. But as for right now, it's probably the best mixed song on the album. This probably should have gotten its own release. I mean, it's not wouldn't be the first time that a yellow instrumental gets a lot of radio play. Well, it would have been the first it time. It would have been the first time, but... <laughs> but, yeah, this would have been a good single release, because I, I, I can't really think of much else that would have been a good single. Maybe Whisper in the Night... But I think this one would have definitely had more hit potential than Whisper in the Night. I was alive back then. I don't think you were. They should have had us, consulted us about what singles should be released from this first album. (laughs) I mean, I was only one and a half at the time. But I think I could probably see what smile comes up on my face and which one scares me. Yeah, I I wasn't around yet. I still had, I think, about a year before I showed up on the scene. But... I would have been more used to being exposed to John Denver at that point, I think. <laughs> and this is off topic, but I think we got some time to kill. There's something that hit me this morning, and I didn't really have a chance to look at it, but has Jeff Lynne ever had a job? And I'm not knocking being a musician, because I know that's work. It's not like you just put out a song and then just wait for the money to roll in. You got record executives pressuring you to put out hits and you got to produce albums and there's concert tours and there's interviews and there's all this other stuff. And solid gold toilets, yeah. And solid gold toilets. That's one of the perks if you're successful, if you can sell enough records. So I'm not saying being a recording artist is not a job, but Jeff had just turned 23 when Jumpin' Biz was recorded. Before that, he was in The Move. Before that, The Idol Race, and I think they had their first album in like 66, 67. Before that, it was Night Riders, and I don't know if they had any albums out. And I'm sure before that, Jeff was gigging with other people around Birmingham. So Jeff Lynn probably got his first recording contract when he was 20 or 19 and has been a, a steady career in music for the last 50 years. So I was like, do you ever have to work at a store, punch in, deal with a boss? It's just something I wondered about this morning. Well, looking at the history of a lot of people from that era that went into music, a lot of times outside of when they were a teenager, no. Uh, because many of them got, took on to m- music when they were really young. Mm-hmm. 
and their parents encouraged it and they practiced and they learned and they joined bands at like 17 or 18 and then by the time they were 19 and 20 they were with bands that were actually releasing singles and then by the time say yeah 23 they're uh, in a stable band that actually is releasing albums and is rather popular at least in their own home country I mean, John yeah. Anderson of Yes was a milkman for a bit, but then that was like very early 60s, and that was when he was still under 18. Yeah, even Paul McCartney had a job. It was a very brief time between Germany and making it big where the Beatles kind of split up, and I don't remember what the job was, but I read it in the anthology book, so there was like a couple weeks where Paul had a non-music-related job. So, And yeah, I'm, I, I can't really think of a time in Jeff's life, not that I was there with him the whole time, where he probably would have been a bike messenger or delivery boy. Grave for... digger. Yeah. Yeah, with the Beatles, that was never a sure thing that they would ever get that popular. So yeah. all of them worked other jobs beforehand and uh, really worked their butts off in Germany to get their name out there. But yeah, a lot of the other musicians that came after them and these musicians that were already practicing and everything, they were all, oh, this can actually be done. So then they were able to make the decision to go into it full-time. Yeah, and I guess in the 60s, there would be more attention of record labels after the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and all that blew up big that record companies would be like more likely to be chasing after all these young kids who want to be the next Beatles and all that. Right, and then so. a, a lot of them that did work jobs did worked also in fashion or worked in record stores and kind of all around the scene itself anyway. Yeah, so they would have ins and connections. Yeah, all right, well, Jeff Lynn, he's been a lucky bastard for the last 55 years or so. I'll take a look at that and see if he ever worked anything. Who knows, he might have been a dentist, I don't know. <laughs> a 17-year-old dentist. I Yeah, I know he's 17, <laughs> but I'm still picturing... Jeff Lynn with that big fro and those sunglasses and, and goatee or beard walking in and I'm I'm your dentist today. Well you look at the cover of the Idol Race album, he still had the fro. He did. I do <laughs> so. I do have that I do have that uh, Idol Race album. So okay. I think we've drifted plenty enough for this episode, so we <laughs> yes, we have. Now. Great song, even though it sounds like another great song, but <laughs> yeah. hey, Mason Williams then did a version of Green Sleeves that sounded like classical gas, so can't really rag on Jeff Lynn too much for that. There you go. Like it? Hate it? What does Madeline think? It was funny. Wow, she liked it. Face the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra song-by-song podcast is a production of Radio Trolla Entertainment, Assorted Deli Meats Amalgamated. Contact us by voicemail at 623-850-3375 or email us at eloftmpodcast at gmail.com. Keep up to date on the show by joining our Facebook group. You can financially support the podcast by going to podomatic.com slash podcasts slash lntcs and click on the PayPal button. Next week, episode 006, Mr. Radio.